I always wear my mask and wash my hands after going home. It's a good tuna, but I think I pay too much. I am the king of the ring. Welcome to the Japan What Podcast for episode 133. And I am your host, Matthew PMBigelow.com. Coming at you from the Tomihisa Cho Studios in Shinjuku, Tokyo, Japan. The armpit of Asia. This is the podcast, of course, that covers AI trends in Japan, rising conflict in the Indo-Pacific, depopulation, odd items, markets, and more. Thank you for joining today's episode. And as usual, we're the busy types. We're not, uh, we're not lollygagging over here. Although I would, I would like to say that it's mid-February. We're recording this on February 19th, 2024. And the, the mixture of good and bad of this season is, is hitting me hard. Um, I've developed uh, allergies over the past four years. As soon as COVID hit, I got allergies. It was weird. Uh, but the good side is that the cherry blossom season is almost here. It begins with the plum blossom season. Uh, go to the parks right now in Japan, all over the place, depending where you are, and you will likely see the beginnings of some budding blossoms or the plum blossoms in full bloom. Now, I was conveniently located enough in a nice area of town to view lots of cherry blossoms, no, sorry, uh, ume blossoms, plum blossoms in full view. And uh, I got a message from a Japanese person who has some wisdom on this matter, um, an older man, and uh, he's told me that uh, ume or plum means the start of spring. And at this time, this is from him, this is his advice as an aging, he's like 75 years old, and he, he saw some uh, plums in my photos that I was posting. And he said, At this time of year, there are three days of cold days and four days of warm days. <laughs> So that's the wisdom from the uh, the countryside of Japan, from an aging man. Uh, is it true? I don't know. We also have that stupid groundhog that comes up uh, with an amazing name, but that's for American audiences, not here. Let's begin. We're going to take a look today at, um, we're going to begin with, it's OMGWTF, and we got a real doozy for us today. Japan produces first pigs designed for organ transplants. Uh, wow. Asahi Shimbum, Asia and Japan Watch. This was published on February 13th, 2024. So it's not the exact like updated current breaking news. This podcast, I like to say it every time, doesn't do that. We look at trends. We go back a few weeks. We might even go back a few years if it's uh, pertinent to the topic at hand. And for OMGWTF, uh, this is very pertinent. But have you ever seen those um, demo videos of of uh, al- altering the genetics of pigs so that they grow your own organs and you can harvest them later? It's a really interesting idea where I think with CRISPR technology, um, the scientists can go in, snip out the part of the DNA that's going to develop the kidneys or liver or whatever, put in your DNA somehow, and then the pigs will, then will be bred to produce literally your organs. Like it's clone technology. And then you go into the, the store and the pig is there and the pig says, nice to see you. Uh, here are your organs. And the, the pig will explode and then it will um, explode at such a velocity that it will on the spot implant your organs into you in real time. And it's like a walkout clinic. You can just leave. It's science. The science has spoken. <laughs> I don't know uh, why I said that. Um, but these pictures of these pigs will be posted onto the website, MatthewPMBigelow.com. So if you want exploding pigs to implant your organs that were in them into you and then just leave, you might want to go to MatthewPMBigelow.com. Check out some of those uh, pictures. Japanese researchers said they have produced three piglets cloned from a pig that was genetically modified to prevent rejection of its organs and transplants to humans. This might be a little bit of a different... Um, technology than what I was just talking about earlier. It could be. I don't know. I read it earlier, but uh, my retention is not what it used to be. 
PoreMed Tech Co., a Kawasaki-based company established by the Meiji University International Institute for Bioresearch, Bioresource Research, said on February 13th that three piglets were born by C-section on February 11th. A team consisting of, they had a yakiniku party afterwards, a team consisting of researchers from Kago, could you eat your own organs if they were from a pig? Like if they said, you have a life-threatening illness and we've cloned your organs into this pig, but you have to eat the pig in order to get to the organs. A team consisting of researchers from Kagoshima University and Kyoto Prefectural University of Medicine plans to transplant the pig's kidneys into monkeys to verify the safety of the organs. If all goes well, they hope to start operations this summer. Yeah, and if you get those organs, you might start eating bananas. The eventual goal is to transplant pig kidneys into humans. The original genetically modified pig was produced by U.S. biotechnology company eGenesis. So it's imported, imported pork, genetic pork. In September, it's not good enough to eat, but it's good enough to stick into a monkey. In September 2023, poor med tech, uh, the poor man's tech, poor med tech received cells from the pig and produced cloned fertilized eggs. The eggs were transplanted into the uterus of an adult sow and pregnancy was confirmed. Normal pig organs are usually immediately rejected when transplanted into humans. Hmm, I wonder why. To overcome this problem, eGenesis modified 10 different genes in the pig. In the United States, experiments have already been conducted to transplant kidneys from such genetically modified pigs into monkeys. In October 2023, it was reported that these monkeys survived for up to two years or longer after the transplant. These were promising results for the field of xenotransplantation, the transplantation of animal organs into humans. Don't be xenophobic. I, I'm going to stop. I don't know why I'm doing that. I'm stopping right now. Hisashi Sahara, an associate professor at Kagoshima University who leads the pig kidney transplant team, said, quote, It is necessary to confirm in Japan that pathogen testing of pigs, breeding management, transportation and transplantation processes can truly be carried out without problems. It is important to take firm steps in Japan while fully assessing what is important, end quote. Nice writing there, by the way. Nice uh, journalism. It was a long quote, so they broke it up into two um, separate paragraphs, two lines. It's a nice way to do it, especially for news. Uh, continuing, according to Hiroshi Nagashima, a professor at Meiji University who founded Poor Med Tech, the goal is to transplant pig kidneys into humans by 2025 and to later perform the transplants of pig hearts. Quote, it has been thought that the realization of xenotransplantation in Japan is a story for the future, but I believe that the best way to promote it is for us to actually create pigs for organ transplantation, Nagashima said. The limited number of donated human organs has been a global health issue. Unless you're in China, unless you live close to Xinjiang province, unless you've noticed that there were once many Uyghurs around you and now there are fewer of them. Uh, particularly in Japan, where only about 3% of organ failure patients receive organs from brain-dead patients. Yeah, uh, people who uh, believe in COVID. The xenoplans transplantation has long been studied, but preventing rejection of the organs has long been a problem. In the 2010s, genome editing, a technology that efficiently modifies genes, emerged, and pigs with multiple modifications were developed for organ transplants. In 2022, the University of Maryland announced that it had transplanted a genetically modified pig heart to a patient with end-stage heart failure. The patient died after about two months, but the operation attracted a great deal of attention as a step closer to realizing xenotransplantation. And it kind of goes on from there. It kind of goes into the history, which is uh, what news does. It means you can just bail out at that time. That's the way news is designed to be written. Once you get into the history of something, you just bail out and you're not going to miss really on anything. But if it's weird and political, you go down to the bottom uh, quote, then they will say something like, we actually don't believe anything we've just said, but we've um, stacked enough uh, conjecture to make a misleading headline for people to share on social media. Anyways, so that's going to be the today's um, sample of Oh My God, WTF. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, one note on uh, Oh My God. I, I don't care if I say it, but when I hear my three or four-year-old son, three-year-old son say it over and over and over again, we've actually changed him to say, Oh My Goodness or Oh My Goodness Gracious. Weird how you view your own children that uh, differently from yourself, isn't it? Um, do you believe that this technology is... Uh, a good thing. 
will we have massive amounts of organs being harvested from pigs in the future? Weird, weird future to think about, actually. We're not just going to be making snout soup out of the pigs anymore or uh, boiling up their uh, trotters, as the British like to call them, their feet, their tonsoku. Uh, we're going to be uh, opening them up their rib cages and extracting our own organs. This article didn't really necessarily say that the um, pigs were uh, had their their modified organs custom made according to a genetic copy of a specific individual. But I've seen other um, sample videos or other research papers that do tackle it on such a level, uh, and. That would be pretty weird. But if you were in a real bind, if you were like, um, hey, you can have this organ from a pig and it's your organ, or here's seven organs from uh, Xinjiang province, uh, which one would you take? Like, would you be like, I'll take the Uyghur ones and continue the horrible human exploitation of forced organ transplanting? Because even though it's technically my own organ, I am not a futurist. I believe in old-fashioned organ transplantation, which is to find vulnerable societies that don't do drugs or drink and then um, leverage their healthy choices in life into my later years because I was drinking all the time in my younger years and now your organs are my organs. Or would you be like, I'm a futurist. Give me my organs. They're my genetic copies from the pig and put them into me right now. Blow that pig up make the organs fly into my body, and I'm just out of here. Which one would you choose? That was the weirdest segment I've ever done, I think, and uh, probably going to be some more. Uh, we're going to jump right in today into Japan Society 5.0. There is uh, some things I need to catch up on, as well as to focus on something that as well is just bizarre and out of this not out of this world, but um, it's deep within all of us. The fourth industrial revolution will enable us to create a new society. Artificial intelligence will transform the big data collected through the Internet of Things into new wisdom. Society 5.0, a technology-based, human-centered society. industrial revolution will raise our standard of living and solve various challenges we face. It will, for example, free us from the stress of driving, allowing us to safely visit anyone, anytime. We will have access to the latest medical advances. All right, I'm going to fade it out there. Um, that is the jingle or the promotional video uh, made by the Japanese government in about 2016, 2017. I explain this every week. And that was when I was working as, a, weirdly enough, as a teacher at a, at a telecommunications company in Japan, focusing on AI markets and AI trends. And a lot of the students were engineers. And so it was mostly focused on engineers and marketing um, uh, because that's where you can kind of tell when the uh, uh, tires hit the road. Is, is this technology good or is it just weird ass dreamy ship? And I fell into the weird ass dreamy ship pile plenty of times uh, covering it. And I, I began to realize that when you focus on the valuation, that is the best way to go. But that's not the, that's not the end all and be all because within those evaluations, there's also a lot of scoundrels and um, uh, nave like activities going on, but it's better than just the future will be um, controlled by AI robots that will kill us while at the same time uh, marry us. You know, like the, the the weird Hollywood way of looking at it. But by focusing on the markets, it keeps you attached into a specific element of reality. But that doesn't mean it's necessarily going to happen. So I've been following this now for about uh, eight, nine, no, six, seven, eight years now. And um, 
the reason why Society 5.0 is covered on this podcast is because it's an umbrella term for the uh, the combined application of these um, technologies that are being mm, kind of pushed into society. The self-driving cars, the 5G, the, the network society, the um, wireless communications. And it's not just um, an AI thing. It's AI in combination with five, six, seven, eight other um, technology stacks that make a product hit the road or um, crash into the into a fiery ball into the forest somewhere. And um, so if I, that's why it's Japan Society 5.0. But since Japan Society 5.0 was implemented, it's been also in a way hijacked by the bureaucracy that um, could not realize many of its initial aims, which is like drone delivery and uh, AI medicine for all. <coughs> Even though they're promising that, the latter one. Still, uh, the business lobbies of Japan are now taking Society 5.0 and trying to shoehorn it or shoehorn the SDGs into it. So it's become like a bureaucratic money trap in many ways. But um, even though uh, that's happened, there's also another aspect of it, which is the entrepreneurial class or people that are working in farming industries or facing uh, people in industries facing a massive, massive population collapse, which is in Japan's future, totally, completely, and it's very serious. We'll cover it later, depopulation and migration. Um, and so they view robotics as a way to kind of guarantee Japanese expertise by uh, programming their expertise into the robots rather than relying on migrants, which can come over and do a great job, or they can come over and um, burn the place down. But so can robots. So it's just like this balancing act. But there's this group of entrepreneurs that are that are keeping the, the so this they don't might not, might not even realize what Japan society 5.0 is but because of this emergent technologies and it's becoming more and more distributed thanks to um, miniaturization and compute power democratization of that they are taking uh they are maintaining the the the, the step-by-step uh, futuristic approach to introducing these technologies into their lives okay well with that there's just a couple of things that I'd like to say. Uh, before we look at the main thing for today. Um, and because a lot of this technology comes from abroad, but is applied um, locally, and that's everything these days, the idea of one country making one type of technology all by itself has basically been um, out the window for quite a while now. And the Wuhan shutdown in 2020 uh, proved that because it was a bottleneck for supply worldwide and the Chinese government shut it down to contain the virus, but it still allowed their population to travel internationally at that time to um, uh, contain the virus. Or was it to disrupt the supply chains and then a bid to take over the supply chain? That's a different topic. But the idea that we are solely focusing on focusing on Japan technology because it's the Japan What podcast, that's impossible because of the nature of the complex uh, societies that we live in today and the interreliance that we have on each other for um, implementing such technologies. It shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody that that is the case. So anyways, a couple of headlines here that I've had um, stacked in the back for a while that we don't really need to get into today too much, but one is Japan takes a leap into the future with its first metaverse high school. Now, I believe that the metaverse is going to fail and it's going to fail hardcore. Nobody needs it. But uh, people still look at this dream technology. And if you don't look at the market application, like I was saying, you fall into the dream pile of shit. And you're left with a huge technological investment into something that nobody wants. But you still have to push it because you have to prove to yourself that you weren't a fail point in the decision-making process that led everybody down this stupid road. But I don't think the people here realize that. But anyways, let's just take a quick look here. We don't need to look too much into this. This is just a couple of paragraphs. This is from LinkedIn, of all places. Um, on January 9th, 2024, uh, the Japanese VR and Metaverse developer um, Aominext announced their collaboration with Yushi International High School to launch a fully virtual high school. This innovative initiative allows students to participate in classes remotely through the use of VR equipment and 3D, 3D anime avatars. You almost can stop it right here. The idea that a bunch of 12 to 17 year olds are not going to totally abuse this system as a way to, you know, hack into classes to pretend to be there and then just to screw off around their rooms all day playing video games while 
you know, making their anime characters kind of nod at intervals and things like that uh, is ridiculous. The said virtual high school is designed with a three-year credit-based course featuring a curriculum officially acknowledged by the Japanese Ministry of Education, Culture, Sport, Science, and Technology. Consequently, graduates from this program will be awarded valid diplomas equal to those earned by traditional high school graduates. I'm not going to read too much into it because it's um, kind of dumb, <coughs> obviously, but the only time that I could see this being of a valid point would be um, a student who's had an accident and is in hospital for an inordinate amount of time um, or uh, people who are severely uh, physically disabled but are very capable mentally. Um, they might be able to gain access to the technologies they need. But for the healthy among us, um, this type of thing is just going to lead to absenteeism. And it's going to, it's, I've covered it in a similar technology before, but it's going to basically be tele-absenteeism, where people will use this technology as an excuse not to actually leave their houses and, and communicate in groups, which is the way, you know, humans basically learn things the best for the most part. Um, but just putting like a smartphone into a, into a plastic bag and putting it on somebody's head and saying, this is your future now because it's technology is very irresponsible. I don't encourage this at all. Wakayama signs packed on flying cars. Again, this is something that we've um, seen again and again and again. EVTOLs, electric vertical takeoff and landing fleets that would make use of um, rooftops. Uh, you'd go up there and you would, like an Uber, uh, fly over all the traffic home and then get home earlier to spend more time with your family. It's always like a, a plan, a pact, and everything like this. This comes to us from AkihabaraNews.com. Wakayama Governor Shuhei Kishimoto made it clear. Oh, the governor is serious now. As a governor, I'm making it clear. Uh, on a press conference on January 30th that his administration is keenly interested. Oh, let me make it clear. We are keenly interested in bringing the benefits of evil tolls to the prefecture in Western Japan. Quote, we are considering the possibility. So there I go again. This goes back to the um, the bureaucratic um, kick the can down the roadism that uh, has been um, infiltrating the Japan Society 5.0 movement for years now, where you just have people say, we're interested in this and we're going to conduct studies and we're going to look at it. And then usually what happens is like by the end of it, it's been nerfed by so many shitty middle managers that don't, want to take any risks that they kind of say we have one ev toll that will transport um uh, one person three times a week along a stretch of road spanning a 900 meters and uh, we'll try this and see how it goes and it never goes anywhere uh, we are considering the possibility of regional revitalization using flying cars, the governor said. Quote, it is a very attractive project, so I would like to work on it together with our officials. Let's bring in more managers. And it goes on from there. So we'll see if it happens or not. It's supposedly for the Expo 2025, uh, something that nobody wants. And is it's going to be filled with 80-year-old um, Japanese men talking about technology that they're not actually using, but they want to use for the future, and they will be surrounded by SDG symbology and wearing SDG pins. So they're just going to be sucking all of the money out of it and giving back nothing in return. You guys are the cancer. Now, let's take a look at the um, main part for today. And this comes to us from outside of Japan. But it's so crazy that I needed to introduce it now. So if you are interested in AI, um, uh, genetics, um, if you're interested in um, compute power and cloud-based technology, uh, the, these major, these major, these major uh, elements that are going to factor into uh, my future, your children's future, the future for our societies, whether you like them or not, like it's just going to get more and more. It's kind of like looking at cars in the 1920s and you still got your horse and your cattle and you're like, these cars are stupid. I'm, eh, are they? Are they? Okay. Researchers design a processor from DNA. 
microfluidic chip completes math calculation and also stores data in DNA. This comes to us from tomshardware.com. Now, I've looked at some of the affiliated links, not affiliated, but the, the links in the report, and it seems to be legit, but I will just say this up front. If anybody listening to this podcast has evidence that it ain't legit, send it my way and we'll make a correction next 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 time, maybe in a week or so. But it seems to be legit. <clears throat> now, I'll be posting a picture of it at MatthewPMBigelow.com. Uh, it's pretty long. We don't have time for the whole thing. And we're also busy today covering other aspects. So we'll just read some of it. If you want to read the whole thing, again, MatthewPMBigelow.com will have the link that takes you right there. A microfluidic DNA processor dubbed a, quote, lab on chip, end quote, has been developed by RIT researchers or rich researchers capable of not only computation, but also reading and writing data stored within DNA. The prototype device supports artificial neural network computations on data stored within DNA, specifically microfluidic solutions of manipulated DNA molecules. The capabilities of this DNA CPU. Probably heard that here first, right? DNA CPU. The capabilities of this DNA CPU also extend to the expected mathematical and nonlinear calculations you want to see from a CPU. And it should also be capable of networking functionally or networking functionality with other devices. Amlan Ganduli, definitely not Japanese, head of the computer engineering department at Kate Gleason College of Engineering at the Rochester Institute of Technology, leads the research with the help of his department and researchers from the University of Minnesota. <laughs> when, you, when I said Amlan Ganduli, were you thinking man or woman? <laughs> One of their goals in pushing DNA computation and storage is to find a more sustainable alternative to present-day big data technologies. Um, while RIT's new DNA lab-on-chip is an impressive feat, it's important to note that it's only the latest step of many toward a future of viable DNA computing. Last, so this is over-the-horizon technology. Last year, by the way, in 2018, 2019, I started using AI, OpenAI's uh, fake news generator a lot. And uh, now everybody's using ChatGPT. So looking at over-the-horizon stuff means you're going to be encountering it in your society at a later day. It's coming towards you. We're zooming towards it. Last year, we covered the Chinese researchers and their successful attempts at making programmable DNA. This January, we also covered Biomemory, a startup looking to break into the data center with DNA storage while also selling a somewhat overpriced one kilobyte DNA storage card. And so there's a kind of a race, it's niche at this point, but it's going on. With all this talk of programmable DNA and DNA storage, it might sound like we're wandering into the space of mad scientists. <laughs> Why would you say that? Uh, um, okay, we'll go to the last paragraph. DNA computation and storage have come with their own unique issues, namely very slow operation, orders of magnitude or literal hours slower, and thus unfeasibly high latency. While the economics of DNA storage could prove surprisingly appealing for long-term storage, specifically practical use of it on a large scale in its current form would require a front end of modern high-end hardware to make it usable. So it's not like this is one of those things where they make it happen, but that doesn't mean it's Skynet and Terminator and all the Hollywood is coming true and, and everything as such. But it does mean that perhaps in the future, we could be our own digital storage it would be bio-digital storage units. Or you could begin implanting parts of your body with, with a genetic components, custom built with uh, a combination of, um, of, of analog hardware and biogenetic material to, to carry storage around with you. So you wouldn't have to pay... Uh, cloud services money every month you would just literally grow it out of your body and then put some uh, wi-fi or wireless transmissions and send those out to people who need it who are around you either 
your family members with pictures or um, PDF documents for a team. Now, oddly enough, you might be able to affix screens onto these uh, bio um, techno appendages, and then you could use that for your Zoom meetings. You could do Zoom meetings from anywhere in the world. And if that isn't the dystopian future you uh, have uh, programmed in your Hollywood-drenched brains, um, the, you know, Terminators with guns, it's going to be your manager um, providing you an extra bonus a month so that they can um, use your uh, bio uh, hardware DNA storage units to affix their communication technologies onto you so they can contact you whenever they need to. And that's going to be Japan Society 5.0 for this week. Wasn't that weird? We're in weird territory today. I, like, I kind of like it. The fourth industrial revolution will enable us to create a new society. Artificial intelligence will transform the big data collected through the Internet of Things into new wisdom. Society 5.0, a technology-based, human-centered society. The fourth industrial revolution will raise our standard of living and solve various challenges we face. It will, for example... All right, we'll take a look at some Japanese business next. Here we go. go, go. This first one, I, I covered it well, quite a while ago, I believe, but it's back in the news again, I guess, because it's official. It was projections before, but now it's official. Japan slips into recession, becoming fourth largest economy behind U.S., China, and Germany. Uh, I remember covering this. I'll just summarize it from what I remember before. The fact that Japan is now the fourth economy isn't because of other economies rising. Uh, from what I understand, Germany is... Uh, sliding as well. Their, their Nord Stream pipeline is down. Germany has to uh, rely on the EU and other um, member states there to uh, import all of their energy. And the energy isn't coming as fruitful as they had hoped it was, according to the U.S. interests. So um, the main reason is that the yen is so low now that other countries that are also slipping, like Germany, are, are rising as well. So it's kind of like you're you're running a race and you sprain your ankle and then somebody who has um, like a, a torn shoulder runs past you. It's not because that person is especially uh, much better than you. It's just because you, you have varying degrees of, of injuries that are preventing you from uh, competing in the race with uh, the healthier racers. So uh, again, we're not sure what's going to happen. The economy right now in Japan, unless you're in construction and in certain areas of construction, that's really booming at the moment, but uh, it's not looking good. It's not looking good at all. A uh, couple of other things from the business aspect here, and this ties into what we were talking about earlier. Uh, Japan's digital trade deficit widens to $37 billion on big tech reliance. Uh, Japan has always been known as a tech hub full of tech companies that make tech, but until the wireless revolution came along, uh, Japan really slipped behind. They tried producing their own smartphones, but people by and large went for the iPhone and some Android um, versions as well. And the telecommunications networks here made their own displays and such, but by and large, it hasn't taken off. Um, Samsung does not have a foothold in Japan really at all. Japanese don't really like Korean companies so much. Uh, historical reasons. And the big difference is that in Korea, they have their own um, very high-tech market that they've developed from uh, a nationalistic point of view or, or, or a nation-centered point of view. But in Japan, um, they don't have that really. And so we see a massive faltering. So in order for Japan to really compete with these technologies um, significantly, they have to rely a lot on uh, foreign technologies and um, incorporating um, uh, other people's technologies 
into their technologies to make their technologies work at this level now. Um, a couple of other examples of that, uh, the next headline kind of proves that China's warehouse robots set to ease Japan's logistics crunch. Um, warehouse robots are nothing new. Uh, we could be producing them very cheaply in Japan if there was the uh, technical know-how to do so. Uh, I wonder if if Toyota is actually taking up too much of, of Japan's um, engineering uh, brain. Everybody just goes into Toyota because they make all of the cars for the world. And then there's not enough left over for everybody else. But anyways... Um, yeah, so Japan has this technical trade deficit, digital trade deficit, and uh, China's warehouse robots are now going to come in to solve Japan's logistics crunch. Another one that, uh, that I didn't prepare for, I'm just going off the dome here, is one of Japan's major supermarket retailers, Eon, A-E-O-N, is, um, ha- has plans to work closely with a British um, supermarket uh, online uh, robotic retailer called Okado. And they have their own robots that pick all the orders. Uh, it's very interesting. Just look up Okado, O-K-O-C-A-D-O, O-C-A-D-O, warehouse robots. And you can see what I mean. So Japan is importing all these things. And you could say Japan has a history of all this stuff. But um, I'm going to cover something in the next podcast that says maybe there's a value, long-term value in developing it yourself by your own nation standards. Because eventually you import enough foreign technologies into your country, those um, ideas and biases are also going to find their way into your country as well. It's a very interesting idea, but that's for the next podcast. Next um, one is uh, on a different level. Uh, U.S. Techstars CEO said, uh, eyes Japan as Asia's hub for accelerating startups. Now, that's probably a good thing because there's a lot of people, like I said, that have an eye on the future, entrepreneurial spirit, but um, the um, business lobby of Japan is so caught up in the SDG movement that they're, um, is, they're, they're leaving the startup guys behind in many ways. And part of it, I wonder if it's like a hierarchical thing in Japan, which is still very strong. Um, so, but again, um, the startups in Japan might have to rely on foreign investment to make their own digital technologies, which are highly reliant on uh, foreign um, labor, uh, you know, engineered abroad to come to a realization. So is it just like three Japanese person, people in a startup uh, acquire a bunch of robots from China and then get a whole bunch of money from America and that becomes a Japanese startup? Is that really a Japanese startup? Like how much, how, how much of it needs to be Japanese for it to be like, is it just a Japanese face? And look, it's Japanese startup. Will it be... Um, integrated into the Japanese logistics culture? Is that their aspect? Are these like digital ambassadors to introduce technologies into their cultures? It's a fascinating idea. And I noticed it occurring when I was at the telecommunications companies because I learned a lot about supply chains there. And it was like, huh, well, you guys don't really do things yourselves. You just acquire things or import stuff and repackage it a lot of the times. So that's going to be business for today. Here we go. All right, we're going to end the podcast on the war. Have you known, do you know we're in wars? There's a lot. Die for the war. Everybody knows. Die for the good. All right, that played a little quietly. I don't know why. Something's weird with the compression on that song. It, it pumps it too much. I don't know why. Let's take a look at the war. Um, <laughs> this is so Japan is like uh, figuring out what it needs to do for the wars. Do you know what we need to do for the wars? Uh, let's import some foreign ideas for the wars. Let's take a look at the first one. Uh, kind of a funny article coming to us from japantoday.com. Um, I didn't really source the links from the previous segment about Japan business, 
but you can check it out at matthewpmbigelow.com to see where those links lead you to. Uh, you can also go to matthewpmbigelow.com and drive us some traffic. We actually need the help. I'll do a little bit of this right now. Um, please go to matthewpmbigelow.com where you can get all the photos, links, and more. We also have donation ideas for you there. Uh, you can donate via PayPal at paypal.me forward slash Japan W-U-T. That's paypal.me forward slash Japan W-U-T. We're also part of the Podcasting 2.0 infrastructure. Podcasting 2.0 is kind of like a bug out bag for your podcasts. You might be using Spotify, you might be using Apple, um, but big tech is increasingly getting censorious and we don't know where it's leading us. They want to create more walls, but podcasting believes in a open RSS future. So go to Podverse, get yourself a new podcasting app and have a backup in case things go downhill. And you can also donate Bitcoin via these apps, get a GetAlby wallet, start donating Satoshis and more to people like me. I need the help. So that is Podcasting 2.0, Podverse, Podcast Guru. There's a lot. Thank you for listening. All right, well, let's get back to the idea here of war. SDF to soften hairstyle styles, hairstyle rules as recruit shortage worsens. So um, a lot of the U.S. think tanks think like, hey, in case they have this big thing with Taiwan, you know, China comes in, we'll have the SDF forces of Japan come in and help us and it'll be tickety-boo. But uh, with the population collapse going on right now, if 800,000 a year kind of uh, about that range, if there's a war in 2026, 2027, which is the current projections, uh, that's three or four years from now. Japan's going to be down a couple of million people by then. And why should Japan sacrifice its precious young? Because there's not a lot of extra young. Are we going to send a bunch of uh, octogenarians to go and bomb the crap out of Taipei in case China takes it over? Like, what is that thinking? So the SDF, the Self-Defense Forces, uh, is uh, considering making some rule changes to uh, increase recruits, you know, because... Uh, you know, so many people, this is what they're thinking. I want to defend my country, but my country doesn't like my hairstyle. So screw them. <laughs> the Japanese Defense Ministry will allow self-defense recruits to have longer hair from this April as it aims to make the armed services more attractive to younger people. Die for the war. The ministry currently requires new troops and training units to have a buzz cut for men and short hair for women. It should be the same, by the way. It should definitely be the same. If the idea is to have it so you can't be grabbed or there's some reasons behind it, you everybody should get a buzz cut, men and women. So suck it up. Why can't I have long hair? Because it's dangerous. Well, why does she have long hair? She's a girl. She's allowed. Oh, okay. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> she's going to be doing the warm next to an air conditioning unit at a remote location far away. We need you to die on the front lines, shooting some Chinaman in the face to protect the semiconductor industry in Taiwan. It's what America wants. From the start of the fiscal new year, um, the new fiscal year, sorry, the ministry will allow men to have short hair and sides with longer hair on top and women to have long hair as long as it does not inf- interfere with the wearing of a helmet or hat and is tied up when they are in uniform so does not fall on the shoulders. The easing of haircut rules was reported last month at a meeting of an expert panel tasked with bolstering troop numbers after the panel called on the ministry last July to change or eliminate disciplinary regulations that lack rationality. Quote, as our nation faces a serious workforce shortage, we recognize competition with others, including the private sector, to secure talent, and it has been intensifying, Defense Minister Minoru Kihara told the expert panel meeting on January 18th. It is his mission as the defense minister or defense chief to improve the working environment for each SDF officer and secure excellent personnel, he added. Well, uh, I'm not sure if that makes any sense to you, but um, eh, eh. so they're changing the rules. But uh, I don't know. Next, it'll then be all the weirdo right wing people like say, and next they'll approve the transgenders, and then they'll be, have dogs marrying the admirals, and you'll have to bark to get into the ships. What? Um, we're gonna take a look. There's one aspect of this. There we go. 
we don't have enough time to cover it all today, unfortunately. One one aspect of the supply chain war that I like to talk about is, um, of course, China, as I mentioned earlier, with its shutdown of Wuhan, may have used the virus as a way to um, negatively impact G7 and wider G20 countries, shake off some of those G20 countries to join China's One Belt, One Road initiative or the um, one the One Belt, One Road or the uh, Road and Belt Initiative, sorry, R-B-I-O-B-O-R, depending on which side of the spectrum you fall onto, um, the acronym will be referenced uh, on in one way or the other. And since then, with the um, war in Israel and Palestine, we've seen a lot of side-taking involved. And, and then during COVID and everything like that, China just hoarded a bunch of supply chips, supply ships as well. And China wants to create its own international supply chain network, and it doesn't want to rely on the U.S. dollar to do so. So it's trying to build up its infrastructure, build up its navy, deep blue navy, uh, and then use that as a way to provide security of transport of goods via the Chinese model, which is the Chinese CBD, uh, Central Bank Digital CBDC, um, transmitted wirelessly through Huawei technology. And I've talked about this before, where you have some consumer in Beijing, they go on their app, which is a Huawei phone, and the Huawei app connects them to some farmer in Africa. The farmer in Africa is using the uh, ECNY, the Chinese digital uh, currency, to trade with people in Beijing. They strike a deal. And then the order is processed and monitored as well. And then the uh, supply chain network, you know, takes that order, puts orders it to ship connected by Huawei for its IoT of ships to go down to Africa. And then there's a bunch of Chinese train stations and Chinese airports and Chinese railways operating in Africa right now. And then would the farmer would put his coffee beans onto the train and it would take it to the port and send it back to Beijing and do all of that. And um, the war in Af- in Israel and, and Palestine is accelerating this because on one side, Israel is America. On one side, Palestine is um, Muslim, which can, you know, conveniently makes Iran supporting it de facto, which is then tied into China and Russia and North Korea. It goes all through this massive Central Asian network of, of new allies. Um, and the Houthis uh, off of Yemen can now create a naval blockade and attack enough ships to make a lot of ships go through the south of the African shipping route channel instead of using the Suez Canal because they're firing missiles at certain ships. Um, this has been my postulation for a while now. And this, this is a tweet that comes to us from Sam Mercoligano from WGO Shipping. And this is a just a tweet, and it, it, it supports what I'm saying here. Um, we see war risk insurance has gone up from 0.02% to almost 1%. This is in relation to the supply chain issues going on with the Houthi missile strikes except for Chinese ships, which is set at 0.35%. If you are in the shipping industry with massive amounts of ships, like hundreds of millions of dollars worth of cargo, the difference of 0.02% to 1% compared to 0.35% from a market standpoint is a no-brainer. You would go for the one that's much cheaper, even though it's more than it was before. The tweet goes on, the post. We also see a reduction in ships transiting the Suez Canal from 70 to 39 um, and in tonnage from 4.7 million to 2 million. And he says year on year. Um, That's just an idea that, yeah, it's kind of working. It's kind of working. And if you go with the Chinese routes now, well, your insurance premiums are going to go down. And how many people in the world are, are so gung-ho on American dollar security or do they just not care? Whatever's the cheapest way to get these goods to the people that need them is the route I'm going to choose because I'm a free market capitalist. And right now, 
I'm going to go with China. So the supply chain war uh, is real. It's ongoing. When I said you're in a war, do you know you're in a war? You're not really in the war that you think you're in. If you imagine some people storming up a beach of Normandy in those old, you know, amphibious assault vehicles and huddling behind uh, weird blown up contraptions on the beaches that you don't even know how got there, but you're just being fired at. So you got to kill as many people as you can to get into the country um, so that you can kill Hitler. It's not like that anymore. It's not like that at all. We see the supply chain as the controlling factor of the world because they're all through with the podcast. It's been Japanese technology. It's the Japan What podcast, but the Japanese technology relies on importing and exporting of technologies and development from everywhere around the world in order for it to work here. You just can't grow this technology like a potato in your garden. It requires a massive infrastructural effort from people all over the world and highly um, skilled trades to put this together and make it work like a, like a Swiss watch, except it's the world. And when we see the weaknesses in our own societies and people not really um, looking at things in reality, like two men can have a baby and all of that, how much time does that take up from the Western world these days? A lot of people who just want their stuff to work and get shipped and have the goods get to where they're going to go are going to go with the system that works the best, even if it's not as good as the system that it previously was, because the previous system that is now the system is worse than the alternative. So it's going to get worse, but it's better than what it's becoming. Is like we're going to take a couple of steps back and hope that we get, you know, our our crap together. But at the same time, we're going to get involved with the Chinese digital renminbi and try to offset the dollarization, the, the dollar hegemony around the world. And if you topple the dollar, you topple America. And that is the goal of the Chinese Communist Party so that they can set up their own hegemony, their own global influence strategies without having to deal with them. Pesky Americans. So that is war for today. And that's going to be it for the podcast today. So thank you for listening. Pretty interesting topics. It's not like you're going to hear that anywhere else in that combination. So thank you for sticking around to the end. This is, of course, Matthew MatthewPMBigelow.com signing off for February 19th, 2024. The podcast coming at you from the Tomihisa Cho Studios in Shinjuku, Tokyo, Japan. The armpit of Asia. I bid thee a heartful and warful Ja mata ne. You.